Hi, Journey. How you doing? It is great to be with every single one of you today. I got to tell you, we pastors made a very, very difficult pastoral decision just this past week. Now, I don't know if you're going to hear about this or not, but if you do, before you hear it out there on the street, I want you to hear it from me. I want you to hear it from us. Because of a potential safety issue, both for them and for us, I asked a family who has been part of our church for some time not to be around here on the weekends, nor for any of our public gatherings, for that matter. And that was a decision that the management team and I took very, very seriously. We agonized for a long, long time over it, frankly. And at the end of the day, we made the call. Now, a few things about that three, actually, that I'd like you to sort of tuck into your memory banks. If you have any questions whatsoever about why we did that, please just ask me or ask any of our other pastors, if you will. Ask, number one. Number two, I encourage you, I strongly exhort you, should you hear gossip or rumors about that decision, that you would shut it down. Just shut it down. Just ask the question, is that doing anybody any good? And the answer, if it's gossip, is going to be, no, it's not. So shut it down. Because you know, nothing healthy comes from gossip. Nothing healthy comes from rumor. Really, it doesn't matter who we asked not to be around our public gatherings. Just trust me, the people who need to know, know. And I please strongly exhort and encourage you, don't speculate. Don't waste your time guessing, trying to figure it out. It doesn't matter what the scenario is. It doesn't matter why. The people who need to know, no, please don't waste any time speculating. Number three, and this comes straight from my heart. We love this family. We absolutely love this family. And we're working with them to continue to do whatever it takes to connect them with God in other ways besides through our public Event. I want you to hear that we are as committed to them as ever, and we hope and we pray that they'll take us up on this offer to serve them and minister to them going forward. I'd ask you just to bow your heads, and let's just pray over this quite heavy, heavy situation right now. Jesus, you tell us that life in this world is going to be hard. You tell us that life in this world is going to be marked with difficulty, adversity, and Jesus, you nearly assure us that this life is going to be a long way from being pain-free. And Jesus, we come to you now real humbly, thinking about praying for this family who is a part of our church. And Jesus, we pray redemption over them. We pray that you would please show up in powerful, special ways in their lives, especially in these days and in these hours. Jesus, you know that we don't ever take lightly asking someone not to be here in this room with your gathered church. And we know, Jesus, that you take that very, very seriously. And so in the midst of this agonizing decision, in the midst of this painful decision, Jesus, would you please rain redemption down? And would you please let us continue to be the church that you've asked us to be? May we be your hands and your feet, your agents of influence, your agents of redemption to this one family in particular and yet, God, to so many others as well. God, we trust you with everything that we are. We trust that we're being led by you. And God, we desperately need your continued leading, guiding protection. 
We love you with our lives. And the church agreed and said, amen. We're in this series that we call Famous Last Words, and it is a look at the last book of the Bible, the Revelation. And today we're going to talk about the Revelation's last word on Scripture. And we really need the Revelation's last word on Scripture because we all more than likely have had an experience something like this. You get up in the morning and you spend your time reading the Bible in what we in Christianity call our quiet time. We in Christianity, we're encouraged to spend time with God in our Bibles every single day. And so you wake up in the morning or you do it at night whenever it is that you do that. And you spend, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes, maybe you spend two hours. The time isn't so much what matters. It's that you do this. And so you have this fantastic quiet time and you're reading the Bible and then... Within minutes of closing your Bible, going away from your quiet time with God, life happens. Life all of a sudden blows up. You know what I'm talking about? Life blows up. And then just minutes after you finish this fantastic quiet time with God, you find yourself saying stuff to your spouse and to your neighbor, to your colleagues, to your kids, stuff that is contemptuous, irritable manipulative, misleading, or is just plain rude. Ever been there? Ever had that happen to you? Maybe you felt like when you read the Bible, the words that you read, they go through your mind. Ever had this experience? They go through your mind like water through a pipe. They're there. And then just like that, they're gone. And if we're honest, we would all have to say, yes, I've been there. Yes, that's happened to me. Now, is that the Bible's problem? No, it's not. But I've got to be honest and say it would be much easier if we could lay the blame on the Bible. Let's ask this question. Is that God's problem? No. Though it would be very nice if we could just say, God, this is your problem. But it's not. It's ours. The problem is ours. And John, the writer of the Revelation, he actually helps us solve that problem. He actually shows us how to just stop reading our Bibles and instead, watch this, engage with God via his word in a way that is life-changing, in a way that actually affects and makes different our behavior, the way we talk to people, for example. And there's this very common misperception about the Revelation And it's that the book of Revelation is just all about the end of the world. And while I must say the Revelation is indeed about the end of the world, what it's really all about, if you hearken back to last weekend, it's really all about how we live this life right now like God designed it to be lived. How are we living this life right now like God designed it to be lived? Is God changing us at all? Are we really any different today than when we started walking with Jesus? Are we just passing time? Are we just pretending that God's changing us? Are we just playing church because that's what we think we're supposed to do? And John, in the book of Revelation, he actually corrects our errant thinking about how we interact with God via his word. He actually shows us what it takes to be transformed by his word so that we behave and think and serve differently. Not just because we decide to, but because of what God is doing in our hearts from the inside 
out. The first of our errant thinking about how we interact with God via his word that John corrects is this notion that our Bible reading time is just all about information. John corrects that. I read a passage of the Bible, and then, well, this is cool. I learned something about God. I read a passage of the Bible. I learned something about Paul or Moses or Jesus that I didn't know before, that wasn't on my radar screen before. I listened to a sermon, and I learned something new about God. Cool deal. Now, get this. Information about God is important. Information about God can be beneficial, but information is never the goal. Information is never the goal. We don't read the Bible or listen to sermons just to get smarter. John in his gospel called the gospel of? Whoa. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, yes, there's three smart, awake people here this morning. Wake up. John in his gospel, the gospel of John, it's in the New Testament of your Bible, says this about Jesus. John 1.14, so the word became human and made his home among us. Another way to paraphrase that verse is to say, the word became what? Flesh. That's exactly right. Now, who is the word? Jesus. That's exactly right. So you see what John is saying is that Jesus, before he was ever written about, was seen and touched and heard in a physical kind of way. Jesus was alive, wasn't he? And if we're not careful, Christian, the ink that the Bible was printed with can actually become the embalming fluid of our spiritual transformation. Now let me unpack and explain that because that's a heavy statement. The Bible as we have it now is a great thing isn't it? Raise your hand if you think the Bible is a great thing. Yes. Not everyone thinks so. Is that or you're sleeping? The Bible is a great thing, but some people, and I tend to agree with them, have called it a mixed blessing. The Bible is a certain blessing because every generation then has access to the truth of God, the reality that he speaks, how he speaks, the fruit of his speaking. And, they say, the Bible is a mixed blessing because the moment that those words were written down, it became in danger. In danger of being reduced to something that's looked at, studied, interpreted. Something that's never actually heard in a very personal kind of way. And how many times when we read the Bible do these words simply become abstract to us? Sure, the words of God can be beautiful and they are and they can be interesting and they are and they can be studied and they should be and they can be parsed even. But that is not the only aim of God's word. The intent of the word of God isn't just to inform us about God, watch this, but rather to involve us in God. To involve us in God. God spoke his word It later got written down for the purpose of drawing us into a participating, transforming, life-changing relationship with him. And Jesus' most sharp disagreements were with these guys called the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees were people in the first century who knew the words of Scripture better than almost anybody on the face of the earth. They knew the words of Scriptures incredibly well, but they missed the voice of God almost entirely. 
And there they were. They had this extensive, meticulous knowledge of the scriptures. They revered the word of God. They memorized the word of God. And they used the word of God to regulate nearly every single detail of their lives. And Jesus absolutely excoriated them. That's a fancy word for he let them have it, didn't he? Why? Because all this time, while they were busy studying all the words contained in all the scriptures, they missed hearing them at the level of their souls. For the scribes and for the Pharisees of the New Testament of the Bible, scripture was just a book to be used, not a means by which to hear from God and be changed, be made different, be transformed. The intent of the word of God isn't just to inform us about God. It's rather to involve us with and in God. John then goes on to say in his next correction of our errant thinking about how we interact with God via his word, he says this, that the work that God wants to do in our lives is not completed when we finish our daily Bible reading and then close the book. That work is only finished when we hear the word at a soul level and are being transformed by it. Now, I want to unpack that for you. You may be familiar with this quite famous blessing. It's near the very beginning of the Revelation, Revelation 1-3. If you've got a Bible, you could certainly turn there. You can follow along on the screen as well. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 of the Bible. Check this out. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. He blesses all who listen to its message and who obey what it says for the time is near. Now notice what John says there. God's blessing that comes on your life when you listen to the words of the revelation isn't just about information gathering or getting smarter. God's blessing on our life comes when what? When we obey what it says. God blesses us when the truth of his word lands in our souls in a way that we're transformed in such a way that we're drawn deeper and deeper into this personal encounter with the very personal God of the universe. The goal of any time we spend in God's word is responsiveness and transformation. Get that into your heads. Responsiveness and transformation. It goes something like this. I hear from God via his word. I respond to him in the affirmative, mind you. I say yes to him. He continues to change me. And then, well, what do you know? My behavior is different. I'm walking this faith in God out differently. Our engagement in the scriptures isn't just about finding a key for unlocking the secrets to the future. And that's what some people think the book of Revelation is all about. It's about finding a key for unlocking the secrets to the future, stuff nobody else knows. It isn't about solving a riddle. It's not about solving a crossword puzzle. Revelation 1.3 in the ESV translation goes like this. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. And that word keep isn't about locking it up in a safe deposit box in a bank vault so that nothing can get at it, no. Keep means obey. Keep means keep at it, keep in use, keep it active in your everyday life. It ought not be like water through a pipe. Keep it active in your everyday life. The intent of our every single interaction with the Bible is to enlist our participation in the transformative process of God himself. 
This guy named Eric Auerbach, one time he contrasted the Bible with other literature from ancient times, and he said this very powerful quote. The scripture stories do not court our favor. They do not flatter us that they may please and enchant us. They seek to subject us. And if we refuse to be subjected, we are rebels. And I dump that very heavy quote out on you because of this word subject. What's it mean to be subjected to something? It means we're under the authority or under the control of something. Authority of who? Under the control of who? Well, God, of course. And when we hear the word of God at a soul level, when we're being transformed by it, what happens? Rebellion disappears. Rebellion goes away because we're all of a sudden under the authority and under the control of God himself. Whoa. Rebellion doesn't stand a chance in the face of God Almighty. And merely reading the Bible for information, merely reading the Bible to get smarter about God, that doesn't put you under any authority. It doesn't subject you to anything or anyone Tell me how our rebellion against God goes away just because I read another Bible story, just because I listen to another sermon. It doesn't. There's a lot of things in this world that drive me crazy. I tell you about them from time to time. But what drives me crazier, more crazy than almost anything else in this world are parents who send their kids to their rooms when they're in trouble and order and command them to read their Bibles as part of their punishment. It absolutely drives me like berserk. Berserk. And I got to say this, and this is a strong statement, parents, so buckle in. If you want to mess up your kids with regard to their view of God and their view of Scripture, just pull that one out. Just pull that one out. Then, if you really want to mess your kids up with regard to their view of God, their view of Scripture, take that a step further. Make them write Scripture verses hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times as punishment for when they screw up. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. I was a youth pastor for a long, long time before I started being a big people pastor. And the most messed up students that I ever served as a youth pastor were those kids. And they told me about it. They told me how much they hated God. They told me about how much they hated the word of God. Because really, honor your father and your mother a thousand times had a girl tell me a thousand times on a piece of paper one time, a thousand times. And do you know how much she hated her father and her mother when she was done with all that? If the intent of our every single interaction with the Bible is to enlist our participation in the transformative process of God, the Bible used as a means of punishment does the precise opposite. It deepens the rebellion, if anything. Parents, please, Be very, very, very careful with how you use the Bible with your kids. It should never be a means of punishment. The transforming work of God in our lives is only finished when we hear the word at a soul level and are being changed. And this propels us to John's final correction of this errant thinking many of us have about how we interact with God via his word, and it's this. Scripture is God's word to us not human words about God. 
Scripture is actually God's word to us, not human words about God. And reading the Bible as if it were the writings of various people throughout history, just expressing their ideas or their personal experiences of God, like reading the Bible as literature, for example, is one of the most common misunderstandings of the Scriptures. It is also incredibly deadly to our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the Revelation, John actually delivers a death blow to that kind of view of the sacred text. Revelation 1, 1 and 2, check this out. This is a re- and we're going to leave this on the screens for a while. This verse is going to stay up here because I'm going to sort of tease this out for you. Revelation 1, 1 to 2. This is a re- the opening verse, the opening verses of the book of Revelation. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That, those verses, are a death blow to the Bible as literature approach to the sacred text of God. It is a death blow to trying to read the Bible as if it were just the writings of various people throughout history expressing their ideas or their personal experiences of God. Because you see, what John is announcing in the prologue, which is what this is, this is the prologue to the book of Revelation, that is actually the claim of the entire Bible, all of Scripture. It originates in God, doesn't it? God gave him. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him. It originates in God. It didn't originate in some guy's head. It originates in God. Check this out. It's also about God. A revelation from Jesus Christ. It is a revelation from Jesus Christ. It originates in God. It is all about God. And then check this out. God actually provides the means for our reception of it. How was that? Well, he sent an angel to present this revelation. Origin, content, means of delivery are all found in God. It is from him to us. Whoa. I showed this verse to you last week. I'm going to bring us back to it. Revelation 1, 11, just a little slice of it. Write in a book everything you see. Write in a book everything you see. John is only writing the book of Revelation after he hears or sees what God is speaking and what God is showing. No time else. And that same approach continues all the way to the very conclusion of the Revelation, verse 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message For the churches. Scripture is God's word to us, not just human words about God. The sacred text of God cannot just be approached from a literary standpoint. And so John corrects this notion that our Bible reading time is just about information. Instead, he says, look, it is about involving us in God. He then illuminates for us that the work of God, the work that God wants to do in our lives, it isn't completed just when we close our Bible, when we finish our quiet time for the day. 
That work is only finished when we hear the word of God at a soul level and we're being transformed by it. And then John calls out that the goal of any time that we spend in God's word is responsiveness and transformation. Responsiveness and transformation. I say yes to God and he continues to change me. And the word that John uses for what he writes is this word, revelation. It's John's word for what he writes. It's revelation. In the Greek language, the original language of the sacred text, the New Testament of the sacred text, it is the same word from which we derive our word, check this out, apocalypse. Whoa. And apocalypse literally means to uncover. To uncover. Lots of times we think apocalypse means like crazy things are going to happen and the world is going to blow up. No. It literally means to uncover. Now, let me illustrate this this way. Imagine that you come home from work one day. What? No, let me say it this way. Imagine a pot of stew in your head. A pot of stew. Do you like stew? No, you don't. Especially at like 9.50 in the morning, you don't like stew. You're like, oh, gross. But just get a pot of stew on a stove in your head. Got it? And imagine that you bop into your house one evening. You've had a very long, hard day at work. You immediately walk through the door and you become aware of these powerfully rich aromas that are coming out of the kitchen area. And that smell is so inviting, it is so captivating, it sort of overwhelms all of your senses. And immediately, you start guessing in your head what the ingredients were that your spouse used to prepare that level of succulents. This is gonna be fantastic, you're thinking. And so you're wondering, like, does it have that in it? Does it have that? Oh, I hope it has that in it. Oh, it's spectacular. And you're kind of in a jovial mood, so you pop into your kid's room, kids rooms and you say what what do you think is cooking in that pot on that stove what are the ingredients that are making up the succulents that is filling this air and they offer you differing opinions and one of your kids says it smells gross i'm not eating whatever it is right we all have one of those kids maybe a couple of them there's these all these different opinions about what they think is making up composing what's in that pot on the stove And you're looking around all over the house and you're trying to find your spouse who prepared that succulents and you're trying to figure out, you want to ask them what you're making in the kitchen because it smells succulent. Have I used that word enough? But you can't find your spouse anywhere in the house. And so what do you do? You go into your kids' rooms and you scoop them up and you go, field trip time! And you take them to the kitchen, a field trip to the kitchen. You're going to the kitchen And so you and your kids, you troop off to the kitchen. And one of you, you sort of huddle around the stove and one of you ever so carefully lifts the lid off of that pot. Everyone crowds as close in around it as they dare and they peer in. And finally, uncovered, the stew with all of its ingredients is exposed. That is apocalypse. It's uncovered. It's revealed. What was guessed at is now known in detail and it actually becomes food for a hearty meal. And I tell you that because all scripture, all scripture in one way or another is apocalypse or revelation. It's apocalypse or revelation. Via the pages of scripture, we see the lid lifted off of the pot of stew and we see the truth that God loves you. As a matter of fact, he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to earth to show us how to live and to save us. 
We see God's providence all over the pages of the sacred text. We see God's blessing. God's word actually brings creation into being. It brings people into existence. We see God bridge this abyss of sin that separated us from him. We see God establish peace with us, peace that we couldn't make with him on our own. And we see God discipline, and we see God nurture rebellious people. That's you and me, in case you're wondering. And we see him do it in such a way that his love can be experienced and developed to maturity. We see God himself entering our history with a serving towel over his arm so that we can freely participate in the redemption that God is working in us. It's revelation. It's revelation. And running parallel to this word revelation is this word prophecy. And it's a big word in Christianity, prophecy. The revelation that John announces in verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1 is described as prophecy in verse 3 of Revelation chapter 1. Now, they're parallel words, but there's a difference, and here's what it is. Revelation has an emphasis on seeing something. Prophecy has an emphasis on hearing something. God acts, we see what he does, that's revelation, isn't it? God speaks, and we hear what he says, that's prophecy. And here's what happens. We misunderstand the word prophecy, especially the prophecy of the book of Revelation, and we assume that prophecy always means prediction. Prophecy, however, as prediction, is not the biblical use of the word prophecy. Because you see, God's prophets, they are not in any way fortune tellers. Prophets are very simply people who declare what? Thus saith the Lord. The prophet speaks only what God is speaking. The prophet says, God is speaking now. He's not speaking yesterday. God is speaking now. He's not speaking tomorrow. It is a personal address to you and me right now. Prophecy. And get this, folks, it's all right there. It is all right on the pages of the sacred text of Scripture, God's Word. It's all right there. It's not hiding out. God's salvation is full. His salvation is complete. His salvation is ready for you and I to take him up on his invitation. Revelation 3.20, well-known words from the Bible. Look. I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus speaking. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Which is to say that John's revelation isn't so much an immersion into prediction But it is an awareness that the future is breaking in upon us right now. God speaks to us now. God makes his will known to us now. God invites us, check this out, to metabolize his word now. Metabolize his word now. And if you get nothing else from this message, please take this home. This is the answer to the problem that we have of spending time reading our Bible and then within minutes of closing our Bibles, when life happens, when life blows up, we're saying horrible things to people. We're thinking horrible thoughts about people. This is the solution to the words of the scripture running like water through a pipe. They're there and then they're gone. To keep that from happening, 
in order for God's word to affect us the way God intends for it to affect us, we must metabolize God's word into our lives just like we metabolize the food we eat. It's the same principle. Go back to the pot of stew that was on the stove, the pot of stew that you uncovered, and if you think stew is gross, just put something else into that very same pot in your mind's eye. And imagine that evening you sit down at the table and you're going to partake of whatever it was that was in that pot. I'm going to say it's stew. And you take your first bite of stew and as soon as that stew enters your mouth, the enzymes in your saliva break it down, start to break it down into the molecules that it is composed of. And then you swallow that stew, it passes down into your stomach and the process of digestion continues there. Now, the molecules of the stew that you just chewed and swallowed, they're much too large to pass straight into your digestive system. Large hunks of meat do not pass easily into your digestive system. And so your stomach begins to further break down the molecules of the stew so they're small enough to pass through the lining of your digestive system. After and only after those molecules are small enough, they pass through the lining of your digestive system. Where do they go? Into your bloodstream. From there, the molecules are carried to the individual cells of your body. And those smaller molecules, they're now small enough to be considered part of what they call the metabolic pool. The metabolic pool are molecules, simple sugars, fatty acids, amino acids, that are the basic building blocks that your body uses to build, heal, repair tissue, etc., etc. And as those molecules are transported to individual cells of your body, they pass through the membrane of your cells. What was stew has now been broken down and is passing through the membrane of our very cells. Once they enter the cells, further metabolism occurs. Energy is actually created. And do you see what's happened? That stew... What was once stew has in a relatively short period of time become a part of you. It's become a part of who you are. You've metabolized it into the very fiber of your being. And our goal, church, is the exact same thing when it comes to the word of God, our interaction with the word of God. We read God's word. We don't read it for information. We don't read it as literature. We read it as God's invitation into deeper and further involvement with him. It is his invitation to what we call the deep change process, where what you're reading actually becomes part of who you are at your very core. It's driven down to the very core of your being. And in order for that process to happen, All of a sudden, watch this, it becomes about bite-sized chunks of the scripture. All of a sudden, it's not anymore about a sprint to the finish line to see how much of the Bible you can devour in a year or a month or in one sitting. Why? Because you very simply, you cannot metabolize that much scripture into your heart and life. It means, and I'm actually saying this, It means less is more when it comes to your daily Bible reading time. Whoa. My pastor said to read the Bible less. Just less of it. For the purpose of digesting it. For the purpose of owning it. For the purpose of it being absorbed into your very being. Metabolizing the scripture. You take small bites. You take verse-sized bites. And you invite God to use single verses, short passages. You even invite him to use, check this out, you invite him to use single words to affect your life. 
to change you. You invite God to metabolize the verses you read into change. Change in your heart, change in your outward behavior. You metabolize God's word so that it actually becomes a part of who you are at your very core, at the construction level. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would. I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and go to prayer. And in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine yourself, every single one of us across the whole Journey Church community, that you start actually metabolizing scriptures into your life. And I want you to imagine yourself, you're in your quiet time every single day, and you're chewing on, you're ruminating on, you're meditating on one verse by one verse by one verse. And you're metabolizing God's word in such a way that you, us, we're all being changed. You're metabolizing God's word in such a way we're not just covering material. We're not just speed reading to see how far we can get. We're metabolizing. We're asking God to take his word, to drive it to the core of our being, to change us to change us. We're asking God through one verse by one verse by one verse at a time to involve us deeper and deeper and deeper with him. All the way to the depths, the core of our being. And his word changes us there. And imagine what that looks like for you. Imagine when you're not just reading the Bible anymore and going away unchanged. You're not just going away from your Bible reading time anymore and the words that you read are like water through a pipe. They're not like that anymore. Instead, at the end of your quiet time, you close your Bible and life happens and you're saying stuff all of a sudden to your spouse or to your neighbors or your colleagues or to your kids that's life-giving, stuff that's edifying, stuff that's evangelistic, stuff that's inspiring You're saying things that are full of the love and life of Jesus Christ himself. And this isn't just happening because you decided that it was going to happen. You're not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps saying like, oh boy, Brian gave me another thing to do today. It's happening because Jesus is actually changing you. Jesus is actually affecting you at the level of your soul. You're actually becoming more like Jesus Christ. Moment by moment by moment. And I'm going to shoot real straight with you today. Trying to metabolize the word of God into your life apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is futile. Absolutely futile. You can't do it, as a matter of fact. It will never work. It just can't. And maybe you're a person who, to this point in your life, you haven't had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe for you, it's because you haven't heard of a God who is so real, so present. You haven't heard about a God who is speaking to you right here, right now, today. You haven't heard of the God who loves you with the love that defines what love is. 
but you're saying, I want to know this God. I want to know this God who shows me how to live right now. Not someday, right now. And if you're that person today, why not give your heart and life and soul to him today? Why not step into life with him right here, right now? Why not allow him to break through it today? Why not? And if that's your choice today, if that's the deep desire of your heart today, just pray a prayer right where you're sitting. Just start by confessing to him, God, I get it. I'm a sinner. My life, my whole life has been going away from you. Please forgive me, God. Cleanse me of all my sin. And here, God, is my heart. Jesus, I want you. I don't want anything else. Change me. God, I want to start hearing from you, especially through your word. And those of you who are saying yes to God today, those of you who are saying, my life, God, it's completely yours. If that's your prayer today, I'm just going to ask you to be bold right now, right here. No one's looking around this room but me. I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand real high, lock eyes with me, and just say, I'm saying yes to God today. I'm saying yes to him today, right there. Absolutely, yes, yes. And in the back, yes, absolutely. And here, and here, yes, and yes, and yes, yes, and yes, absolutely. Yeah, over here to my right, at yes, Way to go. And in the back to my right, yes. Yes. It's him. It's about him and the change that he wants to rend in your heart and life. And so Jesus, I pray that we would be people of your word. Not just for information, but for transformation. And that we would actually begin to metabolize your word inside of us so that it becomes part of who we are at our very core. And that isn't just so we can sort of feel good about our spiritual life. That's, God, so that we can be about your mission on earth. Because we can't be about it if your word hasn't taken effective root in our hearts and lives. Change us, God. May your word be the rocket fuel for the mission that you've set us to, please.